Okay, so it's really good to see you. We got a big crowd tonight. And last time we had nine, now we got like twenty. It's really good to see you guys. I want to thank y'all for being a part of our group today. Um, we have been talking about um, God, and we have been talking about uh, the essence of God, who He is. We've been describing Him. We've been using uh, scriptures, and we've been using something known as the London Baptist Confession of Faith that was written in 1689. It's simply a, a creedal statement, right? a creedal statement. And basically, if you look at the paper that I handed out to you, there's three paragraphs there. And on each one of the paragraphs, <clears throat> you'll notice that after every sentence, there will be a, a footnote. And then if you look down at the footnote, it will be attached to some biblical scriptures. Because these guys didn't just sit around and just make stuff up. They actually used the Bible to describe who God is. I want to share with you a quote uh, from a guy named Francis Turretin that says this, The sacred mystery of the Trinity and God can neither be grasped by reason nor demonstrated by example, but can be discussed only on the authority of revelation received by faith and respected by piety. Let me read that one more time for you, see if you can help me understand what that means. The sacred mystery of the Trinity and God can neither be grasped by reason nor demonstrated by example, but can be discussed only on the authority of revelation received by faith and respected by piety. So we're talking about God. We're talking about our Creator. We're talking about the one who puts every breath that you draw into your nose into your nose and the one that's going to take the last one out and the one that we will all stand before one day and answer for every thought, word, and action that we've had here on this earth. He's God. He's the Creator. He hung the sun and the moon. And we need to be reverential when we talk about Him. And we need to be pi- we have to have piety, right? Respect and honor towards Him. But what it means is that we cannot understand God with reason. And what we talked about last time we were here together, we talked about how kids always ask me, one of the first things that when I work with kids groups ask me is, who made God? That's one of the first things they ask. And it's an honest question because you see, they're children and all they know is the creation. That's all they know. And so what they're trying to do with that question by saying who made God is they're trying to get God into a box so that they can understand Him, so that they can reason Him, and so that they can grasp it, you see? And so in our human minds, it's no different when you're three or when you're 33 or 63. My mind is not able to reason out who God is. He's the one that gave me my mind. My mind is not able to figure Him out. If I could understand the Trinity, if I could understand the Trinity, that would make me God. But what this quote says is he cannot be grasped by reason nor demonstrated by example. Now, there's all kind of heresies going around in the church, and they've been around for thousands of years. How many of y'all have ever heard somebody say something like this? Well, God is like water. He can be ice, and he can be uh, uh, steam, and he can be rain, right? And and so what you're doing is, as soon as you say God is like... You're bringing him down into a box. He's like nothing. That's what the word holy means. Completely different. Completely other. When we say God is holy, 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 the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are completely different than us. And as soon as I try to say God is like, then I'm bringing him down to my level. 
You see? And so when this guy says that we cannot grasp him by reason, we cannot demonstrate him by example, but he can be discussed only on the authority of revelation received by faith. So how do we grasp him? Only by the authority of revelation. Well, where does that revelation come from? God. Faith, yeah. God. Yeah. All right, y'all ready? Listen, salvation comes by faith. Faith comes from what? Hearing the word of God. So how does God, God is not going to reveal himself to you standing over your bed at night. That's not what God does. God is not going to come in a big dense fog and, and hang over you and tell you what to do. That's not the way God reveals himself to us anymore. Right? If he's revealing himself to you that way in your bedroom, you need to call an exorcist. It's not God. God does not talk to us in a big thick cloud anymore. He did that to the children of Israel in the wilderness. But He has given us His Word so that we can know Him. And the Word, His revelation, His truth, is the authority and the boundaries that we are to know Him by. Once we get outside of revelation, once we get outside of Scripture, we're on very, very thin ice. It is only through the Word of God that we can know God. And so that, that statement that only through the authority or we can discuss Him only on the authority of revelation received by faith. What does that mean? We've got to discuss Him according to the way He has revealed Himself to us. We have to discuss Him by the way He's revealed Himself to us. The moment I start making Him like this or like that, the moment I start comparing him or thinking that he is outside of his word, outside of his revelation to us, I'm in trouble. God always uses the Holy Spirit and the word of God together to save a person. Let me say that again. God only and always uses the spirit of God and the word of God to save people. Now, I'm not just talking about justification. Being declared right in God's eyes. That's only one part of salvation. There's also sanctification. And what does that mean? We're being conformed to the image of Christ. And do you know how we are conformed to the image of Christ? Renewing our mind. Not by praying, and not by going to church, and not by tithing, and not by uh, fasting. We are sanctified. Through His Word and the power of His Spirit, using that Word to conform us to the image of His Son. And as soon as you get outside of that and look for something outside of that for your sanctification, you're dependent on you and not God. Okay? You're, you're relying on your understanding and not God's understanding. Now, let me be clear. Prayer is very important. It's commanded. Pray without ceasing. Fasting is a good thing. Reading your Bible is a good thing. Going to church is a good thing. Tithing is a good thing. All of those are good things, and they are actually commanded by God. But they are not what sanctifies you. They show that you are sanctified. They're the fruits of sanctification. If God is at work in you, He's going to work out of you. You see how that works? So the only way that God saves us is through His promises, through His Word, and through the power of His Holy Spirit. And they never work apart. Never does the Holy Spirit and the Word of God work apart. Okay? If you get somewhere and it's all focused on Spirit with no Word, then you get, uh, you get chaos. If you get somewhere where it's all Word and no Spirit, you get legality. Right? You get self-righteousness. 
You get dead orthodoxy. It's always the Spirit and the Word working together. And that's the way that He always works. And so this creedal statement, the word creed means I believe. Creed means I believe. And so what I've done is I've given you a copy of this creedal statement because what this helps us to do is to discuss the mystery of God through the revelation of the Word of God. So what these guys have done, these guys that wrote this have basically went through the Scriptures and picked out important Scriptures to help you to understand these different attributes and characteristics of God. Right? Now, as far as this handout goes, that's going to be where we stop with the handout tonight. I want you to take it and use it. Next week, when we come back together again, we're going to talk about it some more. And I thought we were going to get into the Trinity tonight, but we're not. As I was playing the guitar there, I know something else we need to get into. Uh, and so we're going to talk tonight about one of God's attributes. We're going to talk about one of God's attributes. Um, and we're going to talk about the fact that God is love. All right? We're going to talk about God is love. And that is a very abused statement today. In the modern evangelical movement, in the modern churches, what they say when they say God is love is actually what they're saying is love is God. They flipped it on its head. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about what love really is and God is love and what it looks like, okay? So, let's open with a word of prayer. While I'm praying, if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of 1 John chapter 4. Okay? Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this night. I thank you for this time together. And I thank you for a chance to share with the men and women in this room the fact that you are love and that you are truth and you are good and you are holy and you are kind and you're patient and, and you love us very much and you've manifested that love to us by sending your son Jesus to save us. And so, Lord, I pray for every man and woman in this room, for those within hearing of my voice and the preaching of your word, I pray that you will help us Save us, conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, and help us to be your light and love in this world that does so desperately need you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, alright, and 1 John is an epistle, who knows, what is an epistle? A spreader of the word. No, no, that's an apostle. Apostle is a spreader. Uh, A letter, good. So an epistle is not a female apostle, an epistle is a letter. And so John... His name wasn't First John. His name's John the Beloved, right? He's the youngest of Jesus' disciples, and uh, and he wrote how many books did he write? Who knows? Who? John the Beloved. Three, four, four. Three, four. Four. Three, four. Three, four. Three, five, seven. Three books, small <laughs> books, and big books. Five. The Gospel of John. Revelation. One, two, First John, Second John, Third John, Revelation. He wrote five books. All right. And uh, and so we're going to look at one of his letters tonight, and we're going to look at one part of his letter. This letter, the first letter of John, it's a written to the church, and so that means it's written to born-again, blood-bought, regenerated children of God. This is a personal letter to the body of Christ to build them up and to keep them in times of persecution, in times of doubt, and in times of struggle. All right. So this is a personal letter to the churches from John one of the ones who witnessed and saw Jesus, right? And look, and look, um, before you turn to 4, look at 1 John chapter 1 and look at um, 1 John 1 verse 4. It says this, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So why did John write this letter? 
so that we could have joy. Right? And we live in a world where it's hard to have joy, isn't it? Right? We live in a world that's full of darkness, death, hate, and lies, and it's tough to get out of the muck and the mires. It's tough to see the light and the goodness of God in this world we live in. And that's the very reason that John wrote this letter for us. So that we might have joy. Our joy can be made complete. And uh, if you want a good little practice exercise you can do, I, work, I do this with my team. Especially my team girls love uh, word searches. They love word searches. And so what I'll have them do is I'll have them take First John and I'll have them get a... They can only use crayons. They can't use sharks. So they use crayons. And, and I get them to mark every time the word love is used in the book of First John. And after they do that, it's 53 times, by the way. And then they'll use... Um, they'll find light and then they'll find truth and then they'll find life. And then they'll find the word. So I give them little words. And see, what they don't realize is that they're reading the book five times through when they do that. They don't, they don't even grasp that they're doing that because they're looking for those words. But it's a good little, uh, that's some of the themes in this book. Life, love, light, the word, the truth, believe, know. Those are all key words in this book. And it's so that we may have joy. So let's go on over to um, 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> and we're going to look at verses 7 through 21, Lord willing, we'll have time to get through it. Talking about the the essence of God or the attribute of God that God is love. All right, it says, "Beloved," do uh, it says uh, verse seven, "Beloved." What does it mean? What does it mean when you call somebody beloved? Beloved. Uh, yeah, very much. If you want to just take Precious. that word and cut it in half, it, it tells you what it be means. Loved. You be loved, right? When will I be loved? Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this love, in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. Notice that's a capital S, right? We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love also his brother or his brother also. All right. So that's the passage. And if you notice 
there's a lot of the word love in there, isn't it? That's all over that. The first thing that I want you to know about love, look at verse 7. Um, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. First thing we need to know about love is that God is the source of all love. God is the source of all love. If God is the source of all love, then who is not the source of all love? Satan. Satan or me, right? I'm not the source of love. So, if you have children or a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or a grandfather or a grandma or an auntie or anybody who you truly love, the love that you have for them is a gift from God. You are not the source of it. God is. And God has given that love to you so that you can share it with them. You see? And so what does that tell you about someone who is dead in their trespasses and sin? They cannot love. They cannot love. That's exactly right. Because they do not know God. Now, you say, wait a minute. Now, I know a lot of lost people that really love their kids and they really love their wives. But love is an action. Love is a verb. One of the problems we have in the church nowadays is that we've been taught that love is an emotion. All right? Love is an emotion. Love is a verb. It's an action. Are my emotions affected by love? Very much so. All of you remember the first time you fell in love, right? You remember that high school sweetheart that you would lay there on the phone and not even say nothing for like two hours just sit on the phone and just listen to each other breathe? You remember that? You remember getting up and washing your car, waxing the car, and getting a good haircut and going out on a date and trying to impress somebody? You remember all that? Those are actions, aren't they? And, and boy, they're driven by emotions. They're driven by emotions. And we're giddy and we giggle and we laugh and we're happy. It, so our emotions are definitely affected by all kind of things. But love is not an emotion. It is an action. It's something that you do. It's a gift from God that we are to share with others. Does it affect our emotions? Very much so. And is it wonderful to be in love? Very much so. Especially with God. Very much so. It's a good thing. But the next thing we're going to learn is that In order to love, I have to have that love first. And that comes from God. So all love is from God. And watch this now. God will never love us contrary to His standard of goodness and righteousness. Let me say that for you again. God will never love us contrary to His standard for goodness and righteousness. Can somebody tell me what I mean when I say that? That means no matter what you do, He will always love you. Well, He will always love us because He is love. But what do I mean when I say that He will never love us contrary to His standard of righteousness? He will not go against. He won't. He won't. He won't go against His His righteousness to love us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And true love, if it comes from God, is never desirous of walking outside of His righteousness and His standard. See? So I use this example with my kids all the time. When you were 12 years old and your mommy wouldn't let you go play with your friend and you ran to your room and put your face in your pillow and said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. That was not coming from God. 
That was coming from your natural fallen state. You wasn't getting what you wanted, and you did hate them at that moment. You can say, oh, well, I really didn't mean it, but yes, you did. All right? God, when we, when God, so I, God tells me that I am not to commit adultery. If I tell my wife that I love her with all of my heart, all my mind, my soul, my strength, and I'll, I'll love her till the day death do us part, and then I go out and have an affair on her, I am not loving her. Love is an action, and that action will never work contrary to what God's standard of righteousness is. That's very important to see, guys. The world that we live in is ready to concede that God will love people when they are living in sin. God does love people when they're living in sin. He loves them enough to judge them. God always does what He says He's going to do. He always does what is right. And so if I am going out and I am uh, breaking His laws, if I have an idol in my life, then I am not going to know His love. Does He love me? Yes. But what's wrong? I don't love Him. I'm worshiping an idol. I've turned away from the source of love, and so there's no way that I can know that love. You see how that works? And so if you're living a life that is contrary to His standard for righteousness, it's not that He doesn't love you. You just can't know His love. Who remembers what the word repent means? What does it mean to repent? To turn away. To turn away from sin itself and turn to God. God. Alright? So, repentance, did you know that repentance is a gift from God? Now that's that's very clear. You're not the source of your repentance. God breaks your heart and you turn back to Him. He's drawing you to Him. And if He didn't do that, you would run right off the cliff and go into hell. But in His love, He's showing you that He loves you and He's breaking your heart. And the true child of God, when they get their heart broke, you know what they're going to do? They're going to turn around and run to their Father and, and know forgiveness and compassion. The child of this world is going to grind their teeth and ball their fist and continue to run as hard as they can away from him. And you know what? He loves them too, doesn't he? He loves them enough to turn them over to their own wickedness. That's an expression of God's love. God always does what is right. And so let's let's continue to work down through this. It says in verse 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. What does it mean to say that God manifested His love to us? Okay, that's a close word. Manifest. Made it it obvious. God manifested His love to us. He made it obvious. And how did He show us that He loved us? He sent His only begotten Son and let Him hang on a tree to pay for our sins. He says, hey, you want to know what love looks like? Here's my son. He is the very essence of love. He is love. He's God. He is love. And and I'm going to give him to you. Hey, I remember we were talking earlier about how it's wrong for us to try to put God in a box and try to figure him out. That was one of the very reasons that Jesus became a man and walked among us. Number one, he had to be a man because he had to pay for Adam's sins. He had to... He had to do what Adam couldn't do. He had to live that perfect life and he had to pay for all that Adam had done wrong and all we had done wrong. So he had to be a man. But he clothed himself in humanity so that he could come among us 
and we could grasp Him. We could understand Him. We could relate to Him. You see? That's why He came. So when it says that God manifests Himself to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, what it means is He expressed His love and made it clearly obvious when He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and die for us. So He manifested that love to us. It says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Let's break that down into two statements. Number one... We did not love Him. He loved us. I was just counseling with a young man the other night, and he was telling me, I asked him, I said, how do you know that you're going to heaven? And this is what he said to me. He said, because I asked Jesus into my heart, and I was baptized. All right? Now, the reality is is that if God busts your heart open and and rips that old stony heart out of you and gives you a new heart, you will ask Jesus into your heart because you've got a new heart, and you want Him there. All right? And baptism is a command. When we get saved, we are to be baptized. That's a command of God. But me asking Jesus into my heart and me being baptized are things that I do. And neither one of those things are the reason I'm going to heaven. We love Him because He first loved us. The reason you are going to heaven is because His Son lived a life that you could not. A perfect life. And died a death that you deserve so that He could take your death and give you His life. And every one of us in this room, when we stand before the judgment one day, it's not going to be about me asking Jesus into my heart or me walking down that aisle or me getting baptized or me saying prayers or me doing rosaries or me taking communion or me fasting or nothing that I've done. It's going to be worthy as the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. It's because of what He did. It's because of what He did on that cross that I have my salvation. We love because He first loved us. It's not that we loved Him, but that He loved us. Had God God not gone down into that garden and said, Adam, where where are you? Adam would have died in the fig trees, hiding. God came and got him because He loved him and he was his child. Right now, I want to. I also want to look at that. There's a big million dollar word there coming up. It says, "In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins." That's a million dollar word, propitiation. All right, it's not used very often in the Bible. What the word propitiation means is a covering, a covering. The blood of Jesus Christ propitiated my sins. What did I say it meant? It covered, it covered them. All right. How many times did Jesus die on the cross? Once. How many of my sins did He pay for? Every one of them. My sins have been covered. He covered them. He paid for them all. And what that means is there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Why will I not be condemned? Is it because I'm a good guy? No. I'm a wicked sinner. But Christ died to save wicked sinners like me. And He took that guilt away from me and He propitiated it. He covered it where it will never be brought up again. It was buried in that grave with Him and when He walked out of there, He left it in hell. He separated it from me as far as the east is from the west. And I am just as innocent now in my Father's eyes as He is. Not because of my innocence, but because of His. Amen. He propitiated my sins. 
There's nothing that I can do to make up for what Jesus did on the cross for me. And there's nothing that I can do to discredit the work that He did for me either. You see, when He died on the cross for me, He paid for the sins I did yesterday, the sins I did today, and the ones I'm going to do tomorrow. Right? He's got me covered. I'm propitiated. Insurance. Yeah, well, it is an insurance. And assurance. It's insurance and assurance. I have a hope now that I didn't have before. Because before, who was I dependent on? I was dependent on myself. And when we depend on ourselves, guys, when you depend on yourself, God is going to show you how empty self is. You go depend on you, and he's going to say, okay, let me show you how empty you are. Because it's not about you, and it's not about me, it's about him. Now, and, and that's kind of where also I'm going to, I'm having to abbreviate this message tonight, but that's where we're going to go to next. Um, it says, by this we know, uh, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. All right, that's capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. That means literally that God lives in me. So if God lives in me, what is the what is the main thing that John's trying to get across to us here? If God is in me, He's coming out of me. Hallelujah. Right? If He's in me, He's coming out. And what's it going to look like when He comes when He comes out of me? Love. love. <laughs> That's exactly right. I will love. What will I love? Everything. Him. People. Okay. Good. What is the greatest commandment? Love thy neighbor. Nope. Love him. Love God. Love God. Love your neighbor is the second is like unto it. Have no other God. The greatest commandment is this. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. What does it look like to love? It means to love God and love others. Now, do you remember a couple minutes ago when I told you that God's love will never act outside of His standard for goodness and righteousness? You remember I said that? All right. Well, what's His standard for goodness and righteousness? Jesus. Jesus is the standard. That's exactly right. He's the living Always. standard. Right? What, what did He give the children of Israel to know what's right and wrong? A choice. Done. Yeah, what were they? The Ten Commandments. Why did God give the Ten Commandments? Well, because when Adam and Eve bit that fruit in the garden, before they bit that fruit, all they knew was good. And when they bit that fruit, they started knowing good and evil. And what happens is, in their minds, it got conflated. And they couldn't tell the difference in good and evil anymore. They had a hard time discerning the difference in right and wrong. You see? So before they fell, their heart was all good. And you know what that meant? They love God and they love each other. But once they fell, as soon as they bit that fruit, what did I say? The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Somebody's fault, God. It's either you bad or she's bad. He quit loving his neighbor and he quit loving God, didn't he? Because that evil was in him, he couldn't discern the difference in right and wrong anymore. And so why did God come along and give the Ten Commandments? Because the Ten Commandments were actually written on Adam and Eve's heart before they ever fell. And those Ten Commandments are the the literal standard for what is right and wrong. And not only is it the standard for right and wrong, but it's the standard for love. Now what do I mean by that? Well, 
The first four commandments says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down and worship any statues or images or idols, right? Worship and pray to them. Uh, do not take God's name in vain and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Four of them. Then we have, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not uh, commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. Now get them all. Honor your mother and your father so that your days will be long. All right? So, we have four commandments that have to do with loving God. And the other six commandments have to do with loving our neighbors. All right? So when Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, this is what he said after that, on these two laws hang all of the laws. Amen. So why did God give them the law? Because he said this is what it looks like to love. To walk in my commandments is an expression of my love. If you love me, what did you say? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. You see? So, when we look in the mirror of the Word of God and we see that we're lying to people, we know we're not loving. We know that's the old man that I used to be trying to raise his head up. Right? And so what do I need to do? Stop lying? Yes, I do need to stop lying. I need to repent of lying and turn back to Jesus and tell Him if He leaves me alone, I'm going to be a liar and I need Him to work in my life. I need Him to take those desires out of my heart. I need Him to help me. So the law points me not to how to be good, but it points me to the one that is good. Let me say that again. That's very important. The law does not point me to how to be good. It points me to the one who is good. Because if I rely on my being good according to the standard of the law, I am going to live a disappointed life. It's God's perfect standard, and none of us are able to keep it. And so he gave us the law to show us what his love really looks like. So again, when I say that God's love will never act contrary to the, his standard of righteousness, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? If you love people, you will not lie to them. It's super obvious. If you love people, you will not kill them. If you love people, you will not steal from them. If you love people, you will uh, honor their, your parents. You will uh, not covet. You will not commit adultery. You will, if you love God, you won't take His name in vain. You'll worship Him and Him alone. You won't have idols in your life. See? And that's how we know if we're truly loving. And where does that love come from? God. It comes from God. God manifested. He said, this is what love looks like. And how did He do that? Through His Son, Jesus Christ. And why did He do that? So that He could save us from a, a race of people that could never love. He saved us from a group, a race of people that turned our backs on His love and His truth and ran in rebellion against Him. And, and He sent His Son, Jesus, down to the world to save His brothers and sisters, to save those who couldn't, couldn't save themselves. And He uses that, that law as a way to teach us about that. Now, let's, let's keep going there and, and see what happens. Um, verse 13, or verse 12, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that uh, we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides him and he in God. So one of the first things that we know that we have God's love in us is when His Spirit lives in us and we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We confess that Jesus is the Son of God. So it comes through our confession. But our confession is not just the words that we say. Our confessions are not just the words we say. Our confession is what we think and what we feel and what we do. Your confession, um, the Bible and some of the translation actually use, um, I think Peter, you let your conversation be. So our confession is our conversation. And our conversation is not just what we're talking about. It's where our feet walk. It's what we think with our heart. It's what we do with our minds. And so if God lives in us, if His love is in us, it's going to come out in our thoughts and our words and our actions. It's going to be very evident. God manifests His love to the world by sending His Son Jesus. And now that His Son Jesus is sitting on the right hand of His Father, He has sent His. they have sent the Spirit to come and live within us so that we can now manifest that love to the rest of the world. Make sense? Okay, God is love. And it says this, By this love, verse 17, By this love is perfected, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we also in the world. I can have confidence on the day of judgment. Alright? What does that mean? What does it mean to say I can have confidence on the day of judgment? Be sure. I can be sure. Assurance, right? And insurance. So when I stand before Him one day, based on what His Son Jesus did for me on that cross, He's going to find me... How is He going to find me? Declared righteous. My sins have been washed away. There's no sins to bring up. There's no charges on my record. Guys, when there's no charges on your record, if you walk into the courtroom and, and the judge opens up the book and looks and there's no charges on your record, what's he going to do? He's sending you out of there. He's like, why are you in here bothering my court? You see? So when I stand before him, I can have confidence. Look at what it says in um, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. How many of y'all remember riding around with something you didn't, wasn't supposed to have in your car? And a policeman gets on your bumper. Alright? Now I'm gonna tell y'all guys, I wanna be honest with you. Back in the day when I was like that, I was I was a sissy. I drove a stick shift and if a police officer got on my bumper and I was riding dirty, my leg would be bouncing on the clutch. I would be so nervous. I was scared. Why was I scared? Because he could pull me over and I'd have to go to jail and then I'd be embarrassed and like I'd have to pay a lot of money and I didn't want any of that. I just wanted him to leave me alone and let me do what I was doing. But when I live the wrong way, I constantly live in fear. Right? You break God's commandments and you will live in fear. You commit adultery, you're going to be worried about somebody coming after you. You see? You steal stuff from people. Most of the time when you steal stuff from people, you know how it comes out in your life? You're all uh, worried that somebody's going to steal something from you. You see? You live in fear. You live in fear because God's wrath and His judgment is hanging over you. Right? What is the thing that we fear the most? Death. And why is it that I fear death? Because the wages of sin is death. And all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. But now, in Christ, and knowing what He's done for me, I don't have to be afraid of death anymore. 
Now, I ain't going to lie to you guys. When I die on my deathbed, I don't want y'all coming in and taking a picture because I'm not going to be some, like, uh, Braveheart. It's not going to be some pretty scene going in the, you know, walking off and living happily. I'm going to be scared. I'm a human being. And I would love to think that I'm going to have some, like, uh, deathbed experience that everybody can write about and say, oh, it was the most peaceful thing in the world. But the reality is, I know who I believe and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him. I've given him my life. But more importantly, he's given me his life. And his life walks out of the grave alive. And his life is declared innocent. And so in him, I have his love. And perfect love casts out fear. I don't have to ride around anymore. When I get in my car tonight and leave here and I go on the way home, the last thing in the world I'm concerned about is a police officer pulling me over. Number one, I got a legal tag. Number two, I got insurance and a, and a license that didn't expire or taken or confiscated. And there's nothing in my car that can condemn me. I'm going to get out of there and leave and go home, and I'm going to be confident in that. If he pulls me over, I'll show him all the stuff. If I speed or run a red light, I'll pay the ticket. But I'm not worried about a police officer anymore. And it's the same way when it comes to death and dying and God's judgment. I don't fear that anymore because Christ absorbed what I deserved when he died on that cross. And why did he do that? Because he loved me. He is love. And once I have that love, I don't have to be afraid anymore. So let's wrap it up. Verse 19, very important. We love because he first loved us. So what does he command you to do? What what is all of this about? God is love, and if you belong to him, then you are to love him and love your neighbors as you love yourself. Love is an action. It is something that we do. It is not an emotion or a feeling. Our emotion and our feelings can definitely be affected by love, but love is just not that little... What is it? Well, that's, y'all won't remember what Twitter page it is, but if you're old enough to see your old Disney movies and, and Bambi, when the skunk fell in love with the other skunk, he got Twitter pated, right? And it means that your heart beats really fast and, and your, your face blushes. That's not love, guys. <clears throat> love is getting up every day and going to a job and paying 33% taxes and not barely having enough to get the lights paid off and and being able to feed your family and provide for your family and get a hot shower and go lay down and go do it again the next day. Love is getting home from work and opening up your Bible and reading it. Love is being kind to people around you that need you. And last of all, and then we'll be done, it's not about you guys. Every one of you who are in this room have a past. And praise God, and we're going to claim His promises that it is your past and that you're not going back to it again. But every one of our past in this room was because we were absorbed in self. We were living for me. And God showed me what living for me got me. And I don't ever want to do that again. Amen. 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 So let's live for Him. Let's live for others. Let's do what He did for us. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. We love because he first loved us. And this is the last verse. And this is the commandment we have from him. That one who loves God should also love his brother. 
Do you hear Jesus echoing in John's voice right there? Remember what Jesus said? The greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen at John 60 years or 30, 60 years later. Look what he says. This is the commandment that we have from him. It's a commandment. From who? Jesus. That the one who loves God loves his brother also. God has given us that love so that we can share it with others and so that we can give it back to Him. Amen? Amen. All right. Father, thank You for this time we've had together tonight. Thank You for this time. Help us to understand how holy and just and righteous You are. It is so easy for us to take advantage of You. Um, It is so easy for us to take advantage of Your love and what Your Son did on that cross for us. Please forgive us. Forgive us for the time that we've trampled your, your blood underfoot and walked out in this world and lived directly opposite the way you command us to. Help us to know your love. Help us to receive your love. Help us to believe your love. And give us the strength and willingness to walk in that love. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.